Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him 
Marvel right around Thanksgiving and Black Friday right around there that begin by saying, now that Thanksgiving's over, it's time for Thanksgiving. And I'm not entirely sure that's a grammatically correct sentence, but I do think it is brutally honest about how our culture views this time of year. We have Thanksgiving, it seems to be time to gather with family, enjoy a meal, remember all the things you have to be thankful for, but we have to get that wrapped up pretty quickly because then it's time for Black Friday, where we forget about all the things we're thankful for, go about acquiring what we've been told we need to have if we want to have a meaningful life. Then we go over to Black Friday into Small Business Saturday, where we're supposed to invest in our local communities, thinking about others after a day of maybe thinking about ourselves. As far as I know, we take Sunday off so that then we can gear up for Cyber Monday and spend any money we have left over on all the best deals that we can find online. And then after that, if we have any money or energy left over, we have Giving Tuesday, where after three days set aside for the sake of buying things for ourselves or making those folks to us, we spare whatever we have left over for charities or nonprofits or whoever else is asking for our money. And that might just be one cynic's area of grievances that you should ignore, but I do think the values of our culture come out pretty clearly around this time of year. Because if you just saw all of the evidence given to us through advertisements, it seems that this stretch of the calendar is seen as a time to acquire for ourselves, to find the best deals, and that that will lead to happiness because we've made these acquisitions. And I don't have anything against looking for deals, I don't have anything against holiday shopping, but we should acknowledge that above all else. This time of year is ultimately concerned with giving to others. And when you give to others, there is always a cost embedded within that. Unless you are attaching a bill to whatever present it is that you are giving to someone else, which maybe you would consider doing this year and see how it goes, I don't know. But the assumption is that you are the one shouldering that cost yourself, as opposed to the person you are giving that gift to. You can't give to someone else without also giving it yourself. If you give someone your time, that's time you could have spent elsewhere. If you give a gift, you've gone through the trouble of buying it, of wrapping it, of giving it to them, and if you make a gift, you're giving your time, your talent, your ability to that person to show them what they need to you. Giving always costs something. And my guess is that if you're like most people, the next month will involve you giving of yourself in various ways. Data from the National Retail Federation says the average American household spends around $1,000 on Christmas-related expenses each year. Christmas is costly. Christmas costs in our bank accounts. It costs time. I guess that you probably have a lot of commitments coming your way in the next month. Maybe you have work Christmas parties you have to go to. Your kids have Christmas parties, Christmas programs, whatever it might be that you have to take time out of your schedule. For this is a busy time of year that costs us in so many different ways. So if you ask the question, what did the first Christmas cost? Because I think that's the question the first two verses of this passage answer for us. It cost Jesus a great deal on that first Christmas, and yet he paid the price for us. He gave up his glory so that we might be lifted up into the glory of our God. Jesus shouldered the cost for us so that we could receive the greatest gift we could ever imagine. And in doing that, Jesus shows us a pattern to follow. He shows us that glory comes from giving up. And that pattern of giving up ourselves for the glory of others is what Jesus calls us to follow in this season and every other one. 
So I want to work through just verses 5 and 6 of this passage today, but I want to do it in reverse. I want to look at what verse 6 tells us about Jesus and then come back and look at what verse 5 tells us that we are to do in light of the example Jesus has set for us. Because verse 6 tells us that before that first Christmas, Jesus existed in perfection in heaven as God himself, as he had done for all eternity. The translation we read together from says that Jesus was in very nature God, meaning that at the most basic level, at the absolute core, Jesus was God himself. He was not, he is not a junior varsity God. He was not and is not God the Father's intern. He was not similar to God. He was not sort of like God. He was not like how you look at someone and then look at their parents and maybe after a little while you start to see some things in the semblance. He was and is God himself. You might be more familiar with other translations that say Jesus was in the form of God, which can be a little confusing because that's a rare Greek word. And that doesn't mean we can't understand what Paul's saying. It just seems we need to take some time to think about what it means because that word form could go in a lot of different directions. So when Paul says Jesus was in the form of God, he was in very nature God. He's not making a statement about Jesus being similar to God. He is saying that Jesus was truly, essentially, in every way, God Himself. That is who He was at His absolute core. That was the true essence of His being. It was the most true thing about Him that could not be changed. You might be able to change all sorts of things about your appearance. You maybe update your wardrobe, you get a new pair of glasses, you get a haircut, or something more drastic, like you have plastic surgery, you have hair implants, or something like that. But all of those external changes do not alter the essence the form, the nature of who you are. You might go through different seasons of life. You move from being single to being married. You move from being a student to being a graduate. You move from being poor to being rich or the other way around. None of that change, as much as it might change your external surroundings, it does not change who you are at your core. And before Jesus came to earth, and while he was on this earth, and while he sits in heaven right now, he was, in essence, in nature, in form, in being, for God himself. And maybe it's just me, but it seems like when you have a good thing going, you don't want to give that good thing up. That would seem to be human nature. I'm more entertained than I probably should be by the alternate routes that my GPS suggests to me while I'm driving. I don't know if you're any, anything like me. I hope you're not for your sake, but it always seems like when you start driving somewhere, your GPS gives you some options for the route you want to take. If you're like me, you always pick the one that gives you the shortest time to your destination, and so you punch that in and you start driving. And I don't know about yours, but my GPS always suggests alternate routes along the way. And it's usually something like, hey, if you want, you can make a U-turn right now. It would add an hour to your drive, but maybe you want to consider that. And is that an option that anyone's ever taken? Have you ever been on a 12-hour road trip and you thought, you know what, I'm having so much fun, let's, let's tack another hour on this thing. Like, that's what's going to fix this situation. I've been wondering what it would be like to have advice like that in other areas of life, like the financial advisor came to you and said, hey, just wanted you to know the accounts look good, you're going to be able to retire on time with money in the bank. But I was just curious, if you wanted, maybe you wanted to dig a hole in your back, or throw all the money in there and light it on fire. That might be an option you could entertain as well. Or maybe your boss came to you and said, hey, I saw the project you're working on, everything looks good, everything's going great. I just wanted you to know that if you wanted to, you could do a bad job on this project and get fired. 
That might be an option you want to consider. And none of us would ever take up any of those options, I don't think, because they are not better options. When you have a good thing going, you don't want to give it up. And there's better ways to put it, but to put it lightly, Jesus had a good thing going. And he gave it up for our sake. He was God himself. In perfection in heaven, he had existed for all eternity within the Trinity, this perfect relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, constantly giving glory to one another, and he gave up all of that to come to earth. He was in very nature God. He had no lack, he had no needs, he had no limitations, he had no imperfections, he had no anything that he needed, The story of humanity from the beginning all the way to today is one of us taking, feeling like we have to take for our own sake. Our story is a story of reaching for what is not ours, reaching for what God has told us is not good for us because we don't think God can be trusted. It's a story of trying to come off God's authority so we can be our own gods. It is a story of selfishness, of acting in our own interests instead of the interests of others. That's the story of all human history boiled down as simply as I can make it. And that is not the story of our God. The story of Jesus is the story of God giving up all the right is for our sake. He was a very nature God. And he gave that up for us. And he did that because he did not view the status and perfection he enjoyed as something to be used for his own sake. Again, we have a rare word. We're right here the only time it shows up in our in the entire New Testament. And it's a word that gets translated in a lot of different ways. You might know some translations say that Jesus did not think his equality, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. You might know the King James Version says that he fought in not robbery to be equal with God. The New Living Translation says that he did not think his equality with God as something to cling to. And all those different translations trying to get at something important. Jesus did not view perfection he enjoyed as something that was to be used for his own sake. It was not something he felt the need to hold on to for his own security, although he very well could have. And that tends to be how we act. Sometimes it's just good sense to hold on to what we have so we don't lose it, the benefit that it gives us. Sometimes we hold on to things because we don't trust in anything else and we need that for security. On Thanksgiving Day, I was playing basketball with my seven-year-old younger cousin, and she wanted to play a game where basically we would take turns shooting baskets, and if you made the shot, you could make the other person do something. And after a few rounds of this, I had five ideas. And so I said, okay, if I make this shot, you have to give me five dollars. And I shot it, and I made it. The first one I made a lot. And, and she looks at me, and she says, I can't give you five dollars. I only have a hundred and nine dollars. Now, we didn't go into a math lesson in that moment because I wasn't actually interested in taking five dollars from a seven-year-old. But logic would seem to suggest that if you have more than five dollars, you could, in theory, give five dollars to someone else. I'm trying out this argument on you in case I need to pull it out with her, with her later to see how it's going to go. And we can laugh when it's a kid viewing money in that way, but I'm not sure we get much better at that as adults. 
we're sold a message that everything we have, every opportunity, is something that we should leverage for the sake of ourselves. And that can be holding on to our wealth, because there might be a rainy day where I'm going to need it, and that gets away from me being generous towards others. That might mean hoarding my time and saying that I can't set aside any time to where I could potentially be interrupted or inconvenienced by anyone else because in my time I would do with it what I want. It could be viewing our authority, any position we might have, work, family, something else, as something that's for my sake so others can build me up, regardless of how it might affect them. We're consistently presented with options to use what we have for our own it seems to be the fault of human nature apart from the way of Jesus. And if Jesus were like us, that might have been how he acted, but he did not. He could have acted for himself, but he chose not to see his status as the Son of God as something that had to be used for his own sake. He chose not to see his quality with God as something that was to build himself up, but something that was for the sake of building up others. And that is what is at the heart of Christ sacrificially giving up his own authority, his own glory, his own status, so we might have life. That is what Christmas cost Christ. He gave up everything for our sake. He forfeited all his glory and status so that we might have hope. And if that's how Jesus is acting towards us, that gives us a call for how we to act towards one another. In, in the first four verses of this chapter, just to help us get a running start in this passage we're focused on, Paul tells us to love one another in humility in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. You can see on the screen, he says, If you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete at being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If we have any experience of who God is and what he's done for us, any life together with God's people, then we should be people who are concerned with the needs of others. We should do nothing from the perspective of what can I get this for, what can I get out of this for myself. We should always act with an eye towards the needs of those around us. And that's the life we've been called to as followers of Jesus and sets us up for the example of Jesus we're given in the verses we've read this morning. Because this entire passage begins by calling us in verse 5 to have the same mindset in our relationships with one another as Jesus has towards us. For all the ideology of this passage, and there is plenty of it here that we could never get to the bottom of, this is a passage ultimately concerned with our life together as God's people. We've been united to God through the Savior who humbled himself for our sake. And in that, we've been united to one another. When we understand that reality, we get a glimpse into the life God desires for us and how we can exist together as God's people. The self-sacrificial love of Christ demonstrated through his giving up of himself for us is the model for our life together. 
That is the thrust and the goal of this passage. The goal of this passage I'm not, is not abstract theological knowledge. I'm not asking you to try to memorize this passage in the next few weeks so that then you can say you memorized a few verses of Scripture. The goal is that we would internal, internalize these truths in ourselves and in our life together. To love one another as Christ has loved us. So we can know what Christ has done for us so that we can know how to live as God's people here and now in light of the redemption that Jesus has brought us in our relationships with one another and to the world around us. And when we see that, when we see the humility and the self-sacrifice of Jesus, that is where we see the true glory of Christmas. It's not a glory that looks what I can get for myself out of the evil. It's not a glory that self-preservation. It is a glory that is concerned with the good of others. A glory that says when I give up myself, true glory can come about for myself and those around me. And that is who our God is. He has come to us with an open hand in Jesus so that we might receive his glory as he gives it up to us so that we might be lifted up into the love of God. And that glory that God wants to give us through the birth of His Son is our hope. It's a gift that runs against our natural inclinations because it says we give up of ourselves, we will find what we are looking for. Our world says that with enough hard work we're looking out for ourselves and the grace going our way, we might be able to make something of ourselves. The gospel says we will only be made into something great when we learn how to let go and lower ourselves. And I know how that sounds. Being told to give up sounds like losing it, sounds like missing out, and yet the gospel says that is the source of our hope. If we want the cure to what is truly ailing us, if we want the solution to our brokenness, if we want our aims to be mended, it only comes from giving up of ourselves as Jesus has given up himself for us so that we might have life with our government. That's the pattern that Christ has set for. And the ancient theologian Augustine described it this way in a sermon. He said, The maker of man became man, that he the bread might be hungry, that he the fountain might thirst, that he the light might sleep, that he the way might be weary for the journey, that he the truth might be accused by false witnesses, that he the judge of the living and the dead might be brought to trial by a mortal judge, that he justice might be condemned by the unjust, that he discipline might be scourged with whips, that he the foundation might be suspended on a cross, that he courage might be weakened, that he security might be wounded, that he life might die. To endure these and similar indignities for us to free us unworthy creatures, he did this, although he who submitted to great evils for our sake had done no evil, and although who were the recipients of so much good at his hand, had done nothing to merit these benefits. <clears throat> Jesus has done all this for us to be our hope of glory. And because he's done this for us, we can do it for one another. The message of Christmas will cost you something. I can't hide from that fact. It certainly cost Jesus something. But the reward of glory waiting on the other side is greater than we could ever imagine. 
Jesus letting go for our sake is the model we are to follow. And so as we enter into this Christmas season, may you do so, looking to the good of others ahead of your own, so that they might be lifted up and know the glory of God as it is revealed to you and through you to those around you. May we be people who give up ourselves as Jesus has done for us so that we can experience his glory. God, we thank you that you are a God who has come to us with open hands. That you did not come to us asking of anything for us. You did not come to us desiring that we would contribute anything to the cause because we could not contribute anything that would redeem us anyway. That you came to us with a free gift. A gift that is free to us and that costs you dearly. The Son of God gave up perfection to come to earth, to be born as a child, to suffer, to die, because of our sin for us. And yet in that he not only gave up himself, gave up his life, but was raised to life as well. Help us to reflect deeply on those truths during this Christmas season. We hope that you were encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.